Hey, Boker Tov, Chodesh Tov. Um, today's daf is Nun Chet, 58. We pick up in the middle of Nun Zayin Amazbet. We just read the important Agadita about these uh, young children throwing themselves into the sea to save themselves from um, a life of uh, sexual abuse and so on, um, and immorality, and very important Agadita that serves for the Tosfos as an indication of a rabbinic attitude towards, like sometimes uh, even uh, taking one's own life. Um, could be an appropriate form of Kiddush Hashem um, uh, as opposed to the standard halachic discourse which me, which are cases of allowing martyring yourself and allowing your life to be taken but as Tosos points out you're not always given that choice anyway so in that in mind now the Gemara continues with another similar such story um, okay now the Gemara says like this um, uh, we pick up about 20 lines from the bottom the line starts with the word it's like right underneath the Gilion Hashah in the right-hand margin. Regarding these young children, the verse says, um, For you, God, we have been slaughtered the whole day. Like sheep to the slaughter. Now, Rav Yudah says this verse, this verse refers to a woman and her seven children. Um, they brought the first child in front of, the, of Caesar. They said to him, Serve idolatry. I'm a Luke. No, I can't. Says I am Lord your God. So they took him out and executed him, killed him. They brought child number two, the Kesar, in front of Kesar. I'm a Lay. Worship idols. Don't have other gods. They took him out and killed him. Number three. Anybody who worships foreign gods will be uh, banned. Will be put under the ban. So de- destroyed. They took him around and killed him. Number four. Worship idols. It says, Don't worship another god. They took him and killed him. And they took the fifth one. And they killed him. Number six. Worship idols. Notice that we're switching from the low tassays to the positive affirmations of faith um, you shall know and put to your heart okay they took him out and killed him number seven worship idols God you have chosen today God has chosen you today so we're going from an affirmation of faith to the point not only do we affirm God as our God but God actually is you know affirms us as his nation and will not abandon us even in this time of tragedy and oppression we swear to God that we will not exchange him for another God he won't exchange us for another nation okay so so now the Caesar was getting a little fed up and it was number 7 so he, he's got to, he's going to try to get something accomplished with number 7 threatening them to kill them is not enough so he says listen here's what I'm going to do I will throw for you my uh, coin um, the gach that has my image on it the gachin and bend down to pick it up and to return it to me people see this and they'll say you're accepting upon yourself the authority of the king because you're bowing down in my presence also bowing down to my image 
So at least that'll make it look like you're worshipping me, which obviously makes it clear that the Avodazar that they're trying to get them, right, is the sort of, you know, is the cult of the, uh, what was it called? The imperial cult or the cult of the emperor, right, that, that they made him, as, that made him as a god. So it's also the worshipping of the Caesar as god. Okay? So, um, okay. Amalei, chavalalacha kezer, chavalalacha kezer. Woe to you, Caesar, woe to you, Caesar. Akvod if you're so mocked on your honor, how much more so do you think God is mocked on God's honor? So how could I therefore, you know, betray the honor that I have to show God and I can't even make it look like I am betraying that? Um, they took him out to kill him. So the mother said to them, the uh, Roman soldiers, give him to me, let me at least like kiss him a little bit. She said to him, Banai, my children, um, so I guess Yahvuhu, give them to me. So even though they say they took him out to kill him, presumably this is in the plural, so presumably it means they took him out to be executed, but they haven't been killed yet. So she went and she spoke to all of her children before they were ex- executed and said, My children, go say to Avram, your forefather, you offered up one sacrifice. Okay, actually it's interesting, like Zevach Echad. One wonders if they switched it to Mizbeach to be a little bit less, you know, uh, directly saying that Isaac was slaughtered, right? So they make it an altar, and, and unless Mizbeach is a different form of Zevach, um, I don't know. But anyway, do they translate that as altar or as sacrifice? I mean, altar, by con- yeah, no. you offered up, it doesn't make sense, right? You bound it, it's sacrifice. Yeah, but the grammar is wrong, right? You bound up one altar, Vani Akadati Shivami Zbachot. So it seems like it's really an altar. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. I was grammatically it really is like one sacrifice but now but and I'm offering up seven she also went up and fell down and killed and died the mother of the children rejoices they gave up their names for Shem Hashem now of course just recited that in Halach there you go now um, now this again is very powerful in the writings of the crusade and the crusade chronicles and the imagery there about evoking Abraham as a model for sacrificing oneself and not only oneself one's children for God and in the crusades parents were afraid that they when the you know the uh, sort of uh, the Christian crusaders surrounded the town and they were afraid that they were going to be forced to convert so at least they felt that maybe they could give up their lives the adults and not convert although that also they might have been tortured and might feel that they couldn't resist but the children right they would be taken as infants and they would be brought up as Christians and there would be nothing they could do to save them so they actually went ahead and slaughtered their children took their children's lives and then killed themselves exactly you know did this but actually actively took their children's lives and they evoked the, the, the Akedah because the Akedah is the active or the attempt to actively take the life of a child right in the name of God um, you know one of the most tragic ends of this was that somebody did this and then the uh, something happened and then the Christians actually left and the, the, you know and then the, the tragedy never took place so wound up having you know created the this horrible thing, you know, and it, and then, then the Crusaders never actually wound up like you know, you know, attacking the ta- attacking the town. But but often they were, you know, most of the time they w- did wind up attacking and, and killing and forced conversions and so on. But then the Jews there, for fear of that, were taking this active 
participation, right, which raises these profound halachic questions, right, not only taking your own life, taking another person's life, a child's life, and so on, and evoking, essentially, in, in the Crusade Chronicles, they put in the words of some of those people, you never know if it's just like poetic rewriting, this was written actually by one of the survivors, but you still never know if it's an actually accurate, fully accurate account, or a little bit of a poetic retelling, but they put in the words of some of, of one of the people exactly this, that a father is saying, or a mother is saying, like, you know, Abraham offered up one sacrifice, I'm offering up all of my children as sacrifices, and so on. The other thing about this is, it plays on a Midrash, which actually has that Avram actually did offer up at Yitzchak, because Yitzchak was never slaughtered in the Peshat of the Pesukim, right? But if you read the Pesukim also, it says that Avraham actually returned, and it doesn't say that Yitzchak returned. Mm-hmm. So actually, that leaves an opening for the Midrash, right? Remember a Midrash that says, I'm, I'm way digressing now, but let me do one more minute. A Midrash that says, you might know Midrash about the Aether of Yitzchak is Munach before God, right? The ashes of Isaac are, are before God on the altar up in heaven. There's like a famous Midrash about that. So one, basically what that's playing on is that Avraham didn't slaughter Yitzchak, right? It says, Al Tishrach Yadchalanar. But what we forget about is, is that there was a fire on the altar. Mm-hmm. So according to the Midrash, he didn't slaughter him and he just let the fire consume him. Mm-hmm. And he actually, Yitzchak actually was offered up and then a miracle happened and his ashes were reconstituted and he came back alive and so on. So anyway, this is an actual Midrash. So anyway, the point is, is that this imagery, both the imagery of the Avraham Avinu and this story, right, served as this powerful model. I mean, I'm not saying that they read this command, they said, oh, what a good idea. Obviously, it was started by this profound religious intuition that we can't, do, we have to do anything to stop us or our children being forcefully converted, right? And then it, and, but then it served as this model to articulate, you know, that concept. Um, and here, of course, in this story, she killed herself, but she never actually did actually kill the children. And it's interesting that the story, you know, uses the word Mizbeach instead of Zevach, I think to a little bit shift it from sort of the direct statement that they were actually sort of slaughtered as a sacrifice. Yes? Two things. Steinstall's changed it to a vote of czar, not a vote of... Okay. Uh, second, this is, um, in the t- this is Rav Yehud introducing it. It was during his lifetime that Roman emperors started deifying themselves during their lifetime. Oh, interesting. Prior to that, during the Tanaic period, they were generally not, de- they didn't deify themselves. That was done by their successors. Oh, that's interesting. So that would have meant... That fits in the way he's reading the story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Masada's story doesn't normally get quoted, but the Masada story is an earlier... Yes. Um, I mean, it's in Josephus. I don't know if it's in the pseudo Josephus that the Rishonim had access to the uh, the, uh, the Hebrew Josephus which wasn't really Josephus it was a pseudo Josephus I don't know if it was there but that that doesn't get quoted like this gets quoted and the Avraham gets quoted okay um, okay the Yoshua ben Levi Amar Zumila Shanitna Bishmini this idea of, we're going back now to the, to the passage of Alecho Huragnu Kohayom we've been slaughtered every day it's for the Brit Mila that uh, that now the, the idea of Nitna Bishmini I'm not exactly sure the tie and why he emphasizes that but it means that often they would um, you know Mila would be one of the things that the Romans would forbid especially because of the figuring of the body and so on and that often the Jews would be prepared to risk their lives in order to do a Mila okay Rashi says a little differently sometimes since it's an, a, a, an operation sometimes there could be complications and the child could die but I don't think I don't think we're trying to frame the basic mitzvah of Mila as Alecha Horagnu Kolayom I think we're trying to say that sometimes they would give up their lives or risk their lives for Mila 
actually it's a bizarre shift from this emphasis of the oppression in the Romans this is when you're learning and you want to show well let me show to you how actually you would do a shechita so you take a real knife and you say you see you put it on the animal's neck like this and you move the knife like this and then you slip a little bit so that's we're so we're so passionate about our Talmud Torah sometimes we get carried away and we don't realize what we're doing I have no idea that's such a bizarre juxtaposition anyway okay um, you can demonstrate anything on yourself far except do not try this at home um, so um, but what is interesting you know is it is like shifting if you think about the whole Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai story right shifting from the base Hamikdash to Tnuli Yavne Vachachamecha all of a sudden we have this um, this huge like shift of the of the camera as it were from you know Chorban Abayis and the the Caesar and the and the martyrdom to like oh you're in the base Medrash and you're uh, demonstrating Hilchos Shita right a complete shift to that world of Torah now that can replaces this o- other world in which this pasuk had a very different meaning now it has a meaning in the world of Torah um, so da- okay um, and uh, another matter um, which is I assume it means Rashi uh, says Sarad Umarot Nigaim don't sort of t- demonstrate uh, you know the, uh, how uh, like a leprosy looks on your body because uh, I guess you, you won't actually directly put leprosy on your body but that's like an Ayin Hara type of a thing um, okay uh, where are we Rav- contagious well yes but that, I, but I mean what do you, oh, I guess if you demonstrate it, like you actually bring a leper in but that's if that's if we're talking about actual leprosy. Okay, um, okay. Rav Nachman bar, but it says don't demonstrate it on yourself. Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak Amar Elu Tamidei Chachamim Shemimisi Matzmal Divei Torah. And now we shift from the literal death to a figurative one. Alecho Ragnu Koyel means that we give we, we kill ourselves over learning Torah. Like you know we we, we you know we we, we just uh, like Adam Ki Amutz Ba'Ohel. Right. We expend all of our energies. There's self sacrifice involved in the learning of Torah. So again, that's a real nice sort of way of a transformation of what this Beis HaMikdash, literal martyrdom, giving up your life, Alecha Horagnu Kol to a Torah-centered, figurative type of Alecha Horagnu Kol Hayom. They only are established somebody who's willing to give, sort of give, die over it, should live it figuratively. This is the Torah. First is willing to die in the tent of the Torah. Now back to Chorban Abayis. Forty se'ah, which is like a large measure of um, of tefillin batim. Okay, ketzitzah is like a bayit, not the Straps, but the bayit of tefillin batim nimtzuberashe harugei beitar. One the heads of those that were slaughtered in beitar. So you took all their tefillin, and people would go out. It's also an image, right? We forget about this, but people would wear tefillin the whole day. So there they were, and also the sense that they're, you know, that they were slaughtered, and they're, you know, and you know, with their tefillin on, uh, the, you know, the way in which it was a destruction of the of of the people, and also of the Torah, you know, what that what they represented. Rabbi Yanav, Rabbi Yishmael, Omer. It wasn't 40 sa'ah, it was three huge uh, containers, each one of 40 sa'ah, three times as much. In the bright we taught, 40 containers of three sa'ah. Okay. Um, and they don't debate, meaning not the 40 times three or the three times 40, 
Rashi says this means the first version, which was 40, or the second version, which was 3 times 40. It makes a difference whether it's Tzulun Shel Yad or Tzulun Shel Rosh. Rashi says that the Tzulun Shel Rosh, because you have to make four compartments, um, you know, would wind up being larger because you would just need to, like, uh, you couldn't make it as tiny. I don't know if you've seen this, you know, about sometimes how tiny some people have some Tzulun. Like, we have nice big Tzulun, right? But I, if you've ever seen, or they found Tzulun at Masada, you know, you have very, very tiny. So if you're making it so tiny and you're trying to make four batim, right, that you make it in Shel Rosh, you've got to make it a little bigger just to be able to manipulate something of that size. So Rashi says that actually would have been three times as large as the Shel Yad. Yes? Is the say of the amount of volume for a mitzvah? Uh, yes, that's actually correct. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe there's something symbolic about the 40 sa'ah and the cleansing of that. Yeah, I don't know. I have to think about that, but that's a good point. Okay. Um, I'm be, uh, also, like, it doesn't sound so large to us when we think about because I think about Tefillin, like, it's a big thing, but if you think about Tefillin, like, you know, that big, 40 to us, an enormous amount, right? Okay. Um, um, okay. Amar Rebbe Yassi, Arba Kabin Moach. So, you know, that was a shift back to, again, and it's also interesting that thinking about this issue about Mikdash and Torah, right? Oh, thank you so much. That was a shift from, then you really don't have to do that. Just give me a paper cup. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, anyway, the shift from Mikdash to Torah, but also the focus, we've been focusing on the destruction of the Mikdash to the destruction of the people, that the thing about the people with the tefillin on them also refocuses us or reorients us towards that, like, Torah world, right? You know, because the tefillin is the mitzvah and it has the parshiot written in it and so on. So it's an interesting these three themes that are a little bit inter- intersecting. Um, okay. I'm going to be asking, now back to the horrific destruction of the people, four kav of brains, could be found even on one stone, right, it's the smashing of the skulls and so on, just in one stone. What's the possible? That is like taken captive. Praise is the one that compensates for you, that pays, that, 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 that pays back to you. Now this is a very like a challenging, disturbing pasuk because it says this is in actually Al Naharot Pavel. I don't know. The last time I said Al Naharot Pavel before benching must have been at least thirty years ago when I was in summer camp or something more forty years ago. I don't know anybody who has the time to say Al Naharot Pavel before benching. Anyway, but in but in this in in Al Naharot Pavel there's this one pasuk because that refers to thank you the Babylonian exile right and it. And it says, like, here you are, you've been taken into exile into Babylon. Praised is God who will, you know, pay you back for everything that you suffered. And then there's this very disturbing pasuk, which actually was being discussed a lot in, um, or in some context, right? Remember the whole thing that came up a few weeks ago, this, uh, the, what's called the bloody wedding, the thing in Israel, where they had these, like, you know, they, they people, whatever. It was a very d- deeply disturbing thing about, about a, a very, like, this bloodlust vengeance that demonstrated by from Jews. Um, and uh, this pasuk that says praised is God praised is the one who will compensate you who will 
to a smash, you know, and the, you know, the infants, the, the infants of Bavel, who, your oppressors on the rock. So speaks about this like, you know, blood, lust, vengeance against the oppressors. Here it's being quoted as an evidence that if that's considered to be to pay back, obviously that must have been what, is, what happened to you, because, right? And this is evidence that this is what happened to the Jewish people. Um, but anyway, that definitely is, you know, challenging, especially in the contemporary Israeli context. Okay, now we're going to look at Psukim and Eicha that to speak about the destruction a little bit about the first bias but we're sort of conflating them oh that's good okay <laughs> so what does this mean the, the children of Zion that were dear that were, that were precious Mesula'im Bepaz so what does Mesula'im Bepaz mean as precious as gold let's see what the word Mesula'im means my Mesula'im Bepaz maybe it means that they were coated in gold covered in gold Pisa, two weights of uh, gold, of, of pure gold, came down to the world. One in Rome, the other one was distributed equally in the whole world. So there's no way that in Zion all of the kids were completely covered in gold, um, even in gold jewelry or whatever. There wasn't, wouldn't be enough gold to go around. Okay. But actually, means means that they would be like... Uh, you know um, that, that that they would be pr- more praiseworthy than gold. People would sort of ah, what good is gold jewelry? It doesn't look as gorgeous as my kids. Okay, so that's Mesula in the Um So uh, okay, uh, where were we? Meikara. Now Elisha Megadim. Meikara Chashiva de Romai. Originally, the uh, you know prestigious people in Rome have a Nakti Biliona de Gushpanka. They would take an image of in their like of, of a seal um, of a like a of a handsome type of a person, an image of that. And when they would have uh, sex, they would have this image of this handsome person on the wall, and therefore that would lead to having good-looking kids. Because the idea would be that what you are thinking at the time that you are having sex affects how the child is conceived. Okay? Going back to, to some degree, the story about Yaakov and the striped uh, things and so on. So that's how they would have good-looking kids. But, from the time they took Israel into captivity... So now we're switching from you know from the first base of to the second. Ma'isi b'nei Yisrael, they would take you know Jewish people from the Israelites, the Ashi v'kare defurayu, and tie them up at the leg of their bed. Umishamshi, and they'd have sex, and they'd look at these gorgeous uh, young men and women, and that would, and therefore their kids would turn out to be handsome. Okay, Amalechad v'chavre. So one person said to his friend, Ha this is a very uh, you know deeply uh, disturbing type of a of, of, of a punishment to have suffered, you know, of a of, of an of, of a, so where is this written, prophesied that Beneso would suffer this type of a thing, this degrading type of a thing. So Amrle, he said to him, anything that even any something that's not written is going to happen at the time of exile. So that's what was written. It was written by this catch all phrase that you're gonna suffer even types of, you know, suffering that has not been heard of before, this type of degrading experience. So, Amr, so he said back to him, how far was I from getting up to that Pasuk? Like, apparently they were learning some section in the Torah, and he said, oh, that was a good Pasuk you quoted me. How far away, how far was I, you know, where was I holding, where, how far was that Pasuk from where I was learning? So, Amr lay in the, pusta upalga, basically a page and a half. You were a page and a half away. You would have gotten up to that Pasuk yourself in a page and a half. Amr lay, he said, 
said to him, Imatai legabei, lo itzarech lach. Oh, had I gotten a little further in my reading, I wouldn't have asked, <laughs> asked you. I would have gotten to that puzzle and figured it out for myself. Very you're bu- asking questions and documents. <laughs> Very bizarre exchange. <laughs> anyway, all right, maybe lighten things up a little bit. I'm a rabbi, you're not a shmuel, and I'm a My disease, what's meant by the verse? Enai olilala nafshi miko benosi ri. My eyes are like, uh, you know, uh, mourn over my soul from all of the children of my, of, of my people, of my, of my, uh, of my city. There were 400 synagogues in the, uh, in the city of Beitar. Each synagogue had 400, obviously these are exaggerated numbers, 400 uh, school t- uh, teachers. Um, and every, each one of the school teachers had 400 children he was teaching. School children. And when the enemy would go in there, they would pierce them with their staffs. And when the finally they were uh, completely uh, conquered, um, captured, they wrapped them in their books and lit them on fire, like the famous story of Reb Hanani ben Tradyon. We focus on the single Reb Hanani ben Tradyon, but this is saying that this happened to all of these school teachers and school children and in these synagogues, you know, very obviously, numbers, you know. Uh, yeah, obviously the numbers are way off. Um, but, you know, one also thinks about the. Uh, you know, obviously about the uh, destructions at the at the at the Holocaust. So I mean, one cannot help sort of thinking about comparisons. Yeah, yeah. He went to the big city of Rome, or the big city in Rome, maybe in the Roman Empire, but one also imagines it means Rome. Anyway, Amrulo Tinok Echad there's one uh, child that we have in the prison who is uh, of good visage, you know, beautiful eyes. His hair, his locks are like in layers. Um, so, you know, sort of thought that, you know, you would want to save him because he's so good looking. Going back to the good looking story before about the B'nai Um He went by the door of the jail, of uh, the prison. Amar, and he quoted the Pasuk. Who has given Jacob for despoiling the Israel? Both of them in Israel over to uh, you know for uh, um, for uh, also des- uh, whatever um, uh, despoiling. <laughs> so that that child responded, heard that pasuk quoted, and he responded, the, and he quoted the end of the pasuk. Hello, Hashem, it is God. We have sinned to God. It's because we have sinned to God. We have not desired to go in His paths. We did not listen to His Torah. Okay, so he noted he noted the, he, he knew the end of this pasuk in Yeshayahu. Um, so. Amar, so uh, who has this? Rabbi Yosef ben Hanania said, "Muftachni bo Shemorah Rabbi Yisrael." I have confidence that he will actually eventually teach Torah in Israel. That he's such a young child and he knows and he knows this pasuk. You know, he knows how to respond. Ha'avoda, like which is a sort of a way of taking a, an oath. She'eni zaz mikan, I will not leave here. Ad efdenu b'chol makom shepostim alav until I redeem him, no matter how much they ask for him. Which is interesting, by the way. Like how you know. What imagines? I mean, we only like no psukim in Tanakh that are in the uh, Haftorah. But anyway, but what imagines that they were, you know, that they were much more versant in, uh, you know, in verses, you know, conversant in, in, in psukim in Tanakh. It, how, he didn't have to be a huge Talmud Chacham necessarily to be able to quote the end of the Pasuk. So it's a little interesting that he was so astounded. Unless Tinok literally means Tinok. Like maybe he was three years old or something. Who knows? Anyway, Amru Lozaz Misham, he didn't leave there. Atshab Da'obim Amon Harbei, he redeemed it with much with a lot of money, and it was not and along. It was and it was only shortly thereafter 
that he actually taught Torah, or actually, you know, Horah is not just taught Torah, he like, he, he ruled, he was a halachic authority in Israel. Umanu, and who was this? Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha. Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha. So, um, actually, now this raises interesting questions, the fact that he paid a high price for him, right, you might remember an earlier Gemara about Tikkun Olam. Yeah. So let's look at Tosvos. Ko mamon sa'moshaposkin olam. So it says, ki ika sakanat nefashot podin shuyin yosak de demehem. So this Tosvos did not say this earlier, but he says, when it said you don't redeem captives, that when their lives are not at risk. But if their lives are at risk, then you'll pay whatever price is being asked, which we had not heard of earlier. Mm-hmm. Earlier just said, you got to limit it so that it doesn't uh, get out of hand. Tidamin ber kasholech, gabi mocher atzmo vet panav lov dekho chavim. Koshkein hachadik ktala. Inami, so that's one explanation, which is an important qualification of the earlier Gemara. Mishum demuflag bechach mahaya. Because he was so brilliant, and he clearly was, and clearly was important, you know, to the Jewish people, then that would, we would make an exception for him, which is always very interesting, right? Do we make exceptions for people for their social worth, right? On the one hand, we sort of like, don't like to distinguish like, you know, one life for another. On the other hand, there's this, uh, Mishan Horios, right? Which is, you know, you know, Kohen Kodem Levi, Levi Kodem Yisrael, thank you, you know, Tamiz Chacham is Kodem, you know, Lekulam, and so on. So, uh, that is interesting, you know, when that does factor in. Okay, back to the Gemara. Um, okay. Now, here's a story you're all going to know because uh, it's in a, one of the famous uh, keynotes. Um, okay. Amar Avud Amarav. Ma'isa does know Vitosha Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha. There's a story about the son and daughter of Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha, which, who, who is a Kohen. Um, they were taken captive by two separate masters. One took the boy, one took the girl, and we've just learned how gorgeous these kids were. The Yamin Nizdav Gushnehem b'makom echad. These two masters happened to meet up in a bar or something and one said I have a slave that you've never seen anyone with this handsome I have a safe woman. You've never seen anyone this beautiful. Hey, let's get them to, uh, let's marry them to one another. Um, and then we'll have children that will be the most gorgeous children ever and we'll split them between us. Obviously, they're being treated here like commodities, right? We'll just divide up the children. Um, and they, so they put them into a room. One sat in one corner, one sat in the other corner. Um, I am a Kohen, the, the descendant of Kohanim Gedolim. Esther Shivcha, I will marry a slave woman. And this one said, I am a Kohen, a Kohen woman, the daughter of Kohanim Gedolim. And also, I'll marry a slave. They cried the whole night, presumably they couldn't see each other. When the sun rose up, he hears that they recognized one another, they saw that they were brother and sister. They fell on one another they cried out with a moan their soul departed so again actually we have a repeating of the theme of the giving up of the life okay here they did not necessarily willingly take their lives but that was somehow seen as a fitting end that they were you know that, that they took up their they, they gave up their that they they lost you know that they uh, they died and they didn't have to in the end be forced to carry this through for these I cry um, I've always wondered about this story when they said I can't marry a slave or a slave woman do they realize that the other person not was their sister but they were slaves because they were part of the captivity of the Jews so that they couldn't marry a fellow Jew who had become a slave even though they themselves had become a slave is that the story? it's interesting okay or do they not realize that they, the other one was a Jew anyway okay Amarish Lakish 
There's a story of one woman. Her name was Tzafna, the daughter of Pniel. Tzafna, what is the word Tzafna? It means everybody would stare, would gaze at her beauty. The daughter of a Kohen Gadol. So another story about a beautiful um, woman who uh, was the daughter of a Kohen Gadol who would serve in the innermost chambers. That's Pniel, the innermost of God. That the captor um, basically... Uh, uh, raped her the whole night um, uh, took sexual advantage of her the whole night um, once he was done with her the next morning he had her wear seven garments and he took her out to sell her um, so now that he was done one person who was exceedingly ugly came show me her beauty he said to him empty one if you want to buy her buy her there's none as beautiful the whole world. Even so, I want to see her. I want to see her naked. I want to see her beauty. He stripped her of six of the garments. The shivi and the seventh one, she herself tore off. And she rolled herself in the dust. And she said to God, If you don't have compassion on us, why won't you have compassion on your great name? So this is actually interesting because this is the first um, expression of sort of saying God where are you like the sort of the whole theme of the keynote God how could you let this happen right this is like the sort of the a little bit you heard a tiny little echo of it or a little hint of it when the Gemara said before right Hashem, like who is amongst you by God that can remain silent but here you actually have right somebody actually calling God and challenging God as a word saying how could you let this happen um um, so, uh, wear a sackcloth, and, you know, cover yourself in dust. Make for yourself a morning of a, a private morning, a bitter, a bitter, uh, crying, eulogizing. Suddenly will the captor come, Alenu, Alecha, okay, Alenu, on us. Now this is, by the way, God talking, right? Bat ami chigrisach, right? Um, so presumably this is in the voice of God, and it said the shodid will suddenly come upon us. So alecha lo nemar on you. It doesn't say ella alenu on us. Kibiyachu aliv alecha on me and on you. That it's something that I myself, God, am being like you know hurt by this, afflicted by the affliction that you are suffering. Okay, so that's you know God like imaranochi b'tzara. But then the question is, so how God can you not defend your own your own name here and allow this to happen what's meant by the and they will oppress a man and his household a man and his inheritance so now again this is so interesting right because you have this what we're going to see is what you have in the keynote as well is the shifting from challenging God God how could you let this happen but also that's a very audacious type of a religious thing statement so um, and then there's always like it often gets softened a little bit or you know counterparted by like oh but we have sinned you know it happens in Eich as well like there's a most of Eich is God how could you let this happen but then there's some Sukim that pull, that pull back and say you know oh you know uh, this happened to us Kilo Shamanu because we did not listen to him and we did not you know we did not heed you had that before right by the guy in prison right that he quoted the beginning of the Pasuk and the response back was the end of the Pasuk that this is because we did not listen to God and we did not follow in God's ways so here too you're getting this happening which is right after this story about God how could you let this happen we're going to see 
you know, terrible sin, you know, that can explain to some degree, you know, or somehow, you know, fits into the classic Scharva Ona type of framework that we usually have. So it's sort of the shifting back and forth between these two models, not being able to comprehend it, and then going back to, but look at how we sinned. Um, okay, so what does this puzzle, what does this mean? a certain man rabo he had a, he, he lusted after his master's wife um, and he was a car, a, a, um, a carpenter's apprentice one time apparently he had, he had more money at least available cash than his master did so his master needed some money so he was going to borrow from his apprentice so the apprentice said to him send your wife to me and I'll lend her the money and she can bring it back to you so he sent his wife so he spent three days with her now were they actually having sex did it mean that he had her wait for three days and said I have to collect the funds okay one way or the other way he's going to use the fact that it took her three days as a and we'll see to, to make trouble okay so he, she, she took three days she was there and then the, uh, this apprentice came to his master um, um, and you know he bumped into him so the master said what happened to my wife he said to her I don't know I lent her the money right away as she came to my door I lent her the money I said goodbye I don't know where she's been the last three days but what I heard is that when she was uh, going back the now it's interesting Case the Tino coat, right? Which is sometimes, I mean, usually like, but here it means like, you know, the young, and by context, it must mean the young men, you know, uh, had sport with her on the way. Now, again, that's funny because the verse before, Lehit Olel, right, you know, obviously means like sexual, you know, it's about sex, but often it means to, like, essentially to rape, um, like, you know, um, and that's what certainly the, the, the sense uh, before about that beautiful woman that was taken by the captor and so on. But here, from the context, it's going to mean that she basically has been cheating on you for the last three days okay so we're going to see it doesn't just mean that she was um, that, that, that she was raped uh, and, and taken advantage of um, so I'm uh, low so he said to him my answer what can I do I'm low he said back to me listen to me Girsha just divorce her I'm low he said to her he said to him no her ksuva is too big I can't afford to divorce her I'm low he said I'll lend you don't worry I'll lend you the money and you can pay her off. Amon Zevigir shot, so the so the master there divorced his wife. Halachi v'nasuah sahu v'nasah So then he went and he married her. Kiman shigiyas mano v'loyalolipara. And then it was time to pay up the debt for the money he borrowed for the ksuva. But the master didn't have the money to pay for the ksuva. So amelo bove seimi b'chovacha. Fine, you want to pay off your debt? Come and be my slave, be my servant. Okay. V'hayuhem yoshvim v'ochlim. So he and his new wife now were sitting and eating the show team and rejoicing the who and the master was had to stand there and attend to them and pour their wine for them and his eyes would pour from his eyes and fall into their cups and at that moment was when the seal of their judgment was you know when the judgment was sealed that they would like be you know they'd be destroyed that presumably now this the base of Nicholas would be destroyed or, or no, but this seems to be like explaining not just these people
people. But like, you know, the people in general, the society had become so corrupt, this is symbolic of the corruption of the society, and that's when it was decided, okay, there's, there's no going back from this. The society is so corrupt, and so on. And this is a different tone, of course, than the Beis HaMikdash story. The Beis HaMikdash story started with an interpersonal thing, Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, but it very much also got very quickly into Beis HaMikdash. You know, you had the rabbis, you had, you had bringing a korban, and so on. Here we've been dealing with a page and a half about the destruction of the population. And on the one hand, you remember, we had these beautiful scenes of this, like, very quaint, traditional ways about the chicken and the rooster and the cedar tree and so on. And like, you know, so it was this beautiful society that was destroyed. But here you sort of, to try to make some sense of it, talking about how corrupt, this, you know, the society had become. Of course, who's to say this just wasn't one corrupt individual, but it's being used to symbolize how corrupt they had become. One minute. The army way, I'll stay And some say no. The final makabapatish, as we would say, was literally this means two wicks in one candle, which basically means when a woman started marrying two men. Okay, so society becomes so corrupt, and again, interestingly, you know, sexual corruption, but also taking advantage, uh, you know, you know, ex- you know, uh, of, uh, of vo- people in a vulnerable situation, and so on. So that's some explanation of how this could all have been allowed to have happened. Yes. A lot of these depressing narratives are related to the same Amora, Rabbi Yehuda. Oh, that's interesting. So maybe he was very interested in trying to give some theological explanation for all of this. Right. It is interesting. Yes. I just because know here from Marshawn in the Gemara Shabbos that this was a well-known event and no one protested so everybody. Right. So that's a way of making it. So I was sort of saying this was Yes. Yeah. Now, the same way Barkamsa said the rabbis didn't say anything, right? So yeah, clear, clearly. So you could assume that context, as, but e- either way, it's certainly something like this is symbolic of what was so corrupt about the whole society. Okay. So now we are done with the agarata about the uh, about the korban habayis, and now we get back to the mishnah. Okay. So lachach mina sikrikon. So that was. Interesting digression, but then it's like, okay, can we get back to some halacha? Okay, talk about the secret I don't know, so, uh, whatever. I mean, it's good, but like, we got time to move on. Okay, so, <laughs> get back. Amarav. So this is got you buy from the, at this time, after the Korban Abayas, when people are forcing these uh, Romans or whatever, forcing the Jews to sell their land, but in theory, the Jews could actually sue them in court. So then, to what degree does this person who sees the land owns it and so on and speaks about you have to buy it from him and buy it from the Jew and buy it in the right order so we don't assume the Jew is just selling it to you so that he doesn't get in trouble with the sikrakon and so on. So Amarav, when is it that if you buy from the Jew after the sikrakon, it's not binding because we assume he only he didn't really want to sell it to you, he only gave it to you so he didn't get in trouble with the sikrakon. If he just verbally says to you, fine, go and take a possession of it. If he actually wrote out a, a document of sale, then kana, then you do buy because that shows that he really is intending to sell to you even if he did it only after you bought it from the Sikrakone. For Shmuel, Shmuel says, Even by the star it doesn't work unless in the star you actually write a, a liability. I'm selling you this land and if anybody takes it from you and seizes it from you, I will compensate you for it. So if you go out of the way to write your liability into the document, your insurance in the document, clearly you must really mean to sell it. Okay, so in that case, even if you bought it from the Jew after the Sikrakone, he really meant to sell it. Tiny Gavazadi Shmuel, we talk like Shmuel, Rabbi Shimon and Lezer Omer, Lakach Mina Ish, Avachazur Lakach Mina Ish. So, this same idea about which order you buy it from in the 
one person really mean to sell it. It's the sikrakon and the original owner, and it's also the husband and wife about about property that the woman has a lien on for her ksufa. So if you buy from the wife after the husband, we say if she didn't really mean to sell it, she was only doing it not to get in trouble with her husband, to make her husband happy. So but if you first bought it from the wife and then the husband, it's good. First from the husband and then the wife, Mekobatel, it's not valid because the wife did not really want to sell it to you. Odd, but when would it be good? If he writes a, a, a star and puts in it that he assumes liability for compensation, then it is good even if you bought it from the wife after the husband. So, this is a contradiction to Rav. It shows that a star isn't enough, it means a chrayas. I'm like a Rav. No, my chrayas not mean star. No, a chrayas means you wrote a star. And therefore, Rashi, why does that mean a chrayas? So Rashi says, because it doesn't mean a lean on your property. That's not what a chrayas means. But it means that it makes it binding. It makes it final. Tosos, however, says that maybe the debate of Rav and Shmuel is whether you need to write a chrayas explicitly in a document or not, or whether it's implied. So Rav might be saying, any star has a chrayas implied in it. And that's why you don't need to write it. And that's why that's what the word a chrayas means. Okay. Now, you went out and you purchased it from the cyclicone, okay? And um, so, um, uh, one minute. Uh, Right, right. Uh, Let me just say one thing. Right. So basically, what happened is um, um, that you went ahead and one person bought it from the Sikrakon. Now, as we know, this is still stage one of the Takana. He had to, after buying it from the Sikrakon, or actually before buying it from the Sikrakon, he had to go ahead and buy it from the Balabais. So he had to buy it from the Balabais, and now we're learning that the Balabais could, the original owner could sell it to him with a star. Okay, but it would not suffice to buy it from the Sikrakon. So this man bought it from the Sikrakon. We don't know if he also purchased it legitimately from the Balabais. And then he turned around and sold that land to a third party. Okay? I'm sorry. First, he ate, he ate the produce for three years, and the owner knew he was eating the produce. Now, some of you might know that the halacha Baba Basa is, is that if you've been on somebody's property for three years, and then they come and say to you, what are you doing on my property? And you say, oh, I bought it from you. And he says, oh, yeah, show me the document. You could say, I don't need to show you the document of sale. Like, you don't have to save your receipts, you know, your back tax or whatever. How, what is it? Is it three years? How, 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 how far you have to save your receipts anyway you don't have to what you don't have to save them beyond three years you could say you saw me you saw me here you didn't make any claims against you I was there for free to throw away my receipts after three years okay so after three years you can say I don't need a star because uh, I can say that I, I lost it okay so that's the Allah of Chazaka so here you bought it from the Sikrakon we don't know if you bought it from the Balabayas what we do know is you've been eating it for three years in the presence of the Balabayas okay and if you were to claim after three years I bought it from you and I don't have the star, you'd be believed. Okay? And then what did you do? Um, you sold it to a third party. The original owners can't make any claims against the person who purchased it. So the Gemara says, one minute. Hey, he dummy. What's the case? If 
the guy who bought it from the Sikrakon is saying to the original owner, I bought it from you, I don't have the star anymore, it's been three years, so I feel a Rishonami. So why do we have to say that the third party is safe? Even, you know, even the original purchaser is safe, right? Because he, it's been three years, and he's saying that he bought it and he doesn't have the star. If he's not making a claim that he bought it, he's saying, yeah, I never bought it from you, but I've been here three years. So he's not making that claim. So if he's not claiming he bought it from the original owner, then how could the purchaser, you know, keep the land, right? If the original guy is not claiming that he actually bought it from the owner. Is that clear, right? If they, so with the three years, he's believed to say he bought it from the owner. But then he'd be believed that even if, even if it wasn't in the hand of, uh, even if he hadn't sold it yet, even if we weren't talking about the third party, and if he ha- wasn't making that claim, why would the third party be believed? So the Gemara says, Amar of Sheshav, Roam de Lokatayimle. He is the, the guy who bought the land from the Sikhakon is not making any claim. He's not around, or he says, leave me out of this, whatever it is. Okay? And the guy who purchased it doesn't know enough what he's supposed to say in Basin. He's like, huh, what? I just bought this land from this guy. Oh no! Now the original owner is coming and saying, it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to defend myself. So we come and we assist him and we say, here's the claim you have to make. You have to say to him, the first guy who sold it to me bought it from you and he doesn't need to prove it because he's been there for three years so you the guy who purchased the land from the guy who got it from the Sikrakon you're the third party right you don't know what to say but we prompt you and tell you that the way you're going to win in this case is by claiming that the guy you bought it from bought it from the original owner and doesn't have to prove it because he's been there for three years okay so um, so the Gemara says that no, the, the, the guy who purchased it from the Sikrakon maybe we need names is it clear who's who in this story no confused. are you confused okay I'm sorry I needed to give names other than first guy second guy okay we ruin Shimon and Levy alright Ruvain well we don't need the Sikrakon in this story where's Ruvain <laughs> okay. okay here's Ruvain Ruvain was the original owner okay he's the original okay Here's the cyclicone with the land. Cyclicone. Okay, Shimon bought the land from the cyclicone. And now he eats it three years. Okay? Now, if Shimon, he, we know he had to also buy it from Ruvain, right? That we know from the Mishnah. After he's been there three years, he can just be believed to say he bought it from Ruvain and he doesn't have the star. But if he doesn't say he bought it from Ruvain, he just says, no, I didn't buy it from you, but I've been there three years. Well, you didn't buy it from him. You've got to give it back to him, right? Three years doesn't work. Three years is a way of backing up a claim that I bought it from you. Okay? Comes Levi, and Levi buys the field from Shimon. And the Gemara says, Levi is believed. So he says, one minute. If Shimon is claiming that he bought it from Ruvain and the three years back it up, then Shimon is believed. You don't have to go move on to Levi. And if Shimon is not making the claim that he bought it from, from Ruvain, then Levi doesn't work. It doesn't help Levi either. It has to have been bought from Ruvain. So the Gemara is saying, we don't know what Shimon is doing. Shimon isn't around. Shimon is not making any claim. So Levi, now, Ruvain is coming to Levi and saying, give me back my field. Levi is like, doesn't know what to say. Okay, he, you know, all I know is I bought it from Shimon. He doesn't know. Shimon three years. Does that mean anything? He doesn't know what to say. So we prompt Lazy and we say, Lazy, here's what you got to say to Ruvain. Say to him, Shimon must have bought it from you and he doesn't 
doesn't have the star and uh, he doesn't need to prove it because he's been there three years. So we feed that claim to Levi to help him protect himself against Reuven. Okay? And that's what we do. Is that clear? Yes? Okay. If Levi just said, I don't know, we would say, well, he never bought it from you. Here's what you say. So he must have bought it from you and he doesn't have the star. It's been three years. Okay? Yes. If he didn't have a star. No, if he had a star, he couldn't have. Yeah. Because if you buy it from the Cyclicon, you still have to still purchase it from the original owner. So if he didn't have a star, what? The same would apply for your Yes. And that's actually what the Gemara is going to say. Um... We will provide the uh, the right claim, you know, defense for the for either an heir or for a purchaser. They don't know. Somebody's saying your father stole this land from me. It's not his or whatever. The guy who sold it to you, and they don't realize that they're supposed to say he was there three years. So there's no might not be any documentation, but we don't need documentation. We can assume he bought it from you. Okay, the idach itain in ilola, but the original guy. Shimon, Shimon's got to defend himself. If Shimon was the one who was being challenged, he has to be able to say, I bought it from you. And if he can't say, I bought it from you, then we've got a problem. Okay, but Levi doesn't know. For Levi, we provide that taina. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's try to read. Oh, we have two minutes. So let's try to read at least another two lines. If somebody is, if land was sealed for a debt, or was just stolen, but not stolen because your life was being threatened. So, uh, not, the, the Romans seized it for debt where they just stole the land. You don't have the Sikrikon law. Okay? The Amparat Atzmo Tzricha Shetisha Hashem And for the case of the theft itself, you need 12 months. Now, what does the Sikrikon law mean? Here we're dealing with the law at stage 2. You right remember the law at stage 2 was that afterwards they said, you know what? After the Sikrikon has it, you don't have to buy it again from the Balabayas. Like the Balabayas has given up hope after 12 months we can assume the Balabayas has given up hope getting it back and it belongs to the Sikrikon just give the Balabayas a quarter of the value okay remember that was the stage two of the Takana so we think that, sta- that idea that you don't have to buy it again from the Balabayas the Sikrikon he, we assume he, just, he, he gave up hope after 12 months that only applies when it was a Sikrikon his life was, a, he, he was, his life was being threatened but if it's in something else being seized in a debt or seized out of theft or whatever just simple case of theft then we don't assume that he's given up hope of getting it back and you it's never sufficient to buy it from the Sikrikon mm-hmm. okay so that's the law there's no law of Sikrikon but then we says, oh but by the case of theft it needs 12 months so the Gemara says what do you mean it needs 12 months you just said this, this law doesn't apply um, the Gemara says Amar the law of Sikrikon doesn't apply that's, well, that's the 12 month law. Hachikama. Sikrikon atma tzricha shetisha yibes chodesh. Andros doesn't have the law of Sikrikon, and the Sikrikon law is that you have to wait 12 months, and after 12 months you can buy it from the Sikrikon. That was stage two of the law. But that law only applies to a Sikrikon, not to a simple case of debt or just um, simple set. Nakamar of Yosef, one more line. Naktinan, we take the position, ain't ampro pe Bavel. That there is no of these cases of theft of land in Bavel. That says, what do you mean? Rakachazin and Now people do there's no law of Ampera which means um, that you cannot say oh it was stolen from me and it's still mine and I didn't give up hope of getting it back no if somebody seized it you, you cannot make a legitimate claim oh it was stolen and you can't purchase it from that person why? this is very interesting it says something about what happens when you have a functioning and trustworthy legal system my timer 
Siman de Ika Beidavar, since there's a court system, Velo Arvil, Kibel, and you did not go and register a claim in that court system, Eimachwe Achwe, so it must be that you have uh, made your peace with it, that you somehow have like waived any claims against the land. So somebody, some you know, Babylonian, whatever Persian, seizes your land, and you could make a claim. It's a it's a system in which you have you know you can you can make a claim. It's a it's right. It's a good it's a it's a good legal system in place. Okay, and you don't make a claim, then that going to then we can presume that he has right he, he's rightful he's he's rightfully possessing the land, and somebody's entitled well, to purchase it off of him. What? They had faith in that system, exactly. More faith that they had in that system than they had in the Roman system, you know. Or at least, but now the point is, the Roman system might have been just, but they, 